0: Specifically, what makes Maryland great is that um, our growing climate and our terroir combined with the microclimates we have around the state enable Maryland to grow one of the mi- most diverse set of grape varieties that I've seen anywhere.
1: Welcome to the Swell Suite, everybody. This week, our special guest is Kevin Addix. Kevin Addix has been the executive director of the Maryland Wineries Association since 2003. He serves on the University of Maryland College of Agriculture's Global Leadership Council and on the board of Future Harvest. All of us know Kevin really well. We've written about Maryland wines. We've volunteered at wine festivals. We've judged wine competitions in Maryland and all of these things that happen in Maryland wine. Kevin is like the Wizard of Oz. He's like the man behind the curtain doing all of the back work so it was a pleasure to have him on the show I hope you guys enjoy cheers welcome to the swell suite everybody we got everybody in the house today hey y'all welcome welcome (laughs) how y'all doing we've been together all weekend I know (laughs) so rare
2: it was a good weekend. Tell us more. Tell me more.
1: Glennis arranged for uh, well, Erica Crawford reached out to her and wanted to have dinner with us. She's in town for a little bit. She's going on a little tour. Yeah, we had dinner with her at Rasaika. Had Indian food and had her wines paired with it on Saturday.
3: It was bomb. It was great. So for Aww. all who don't know, which Erica, she's speaking of. She's speaking of Erica Crawford. The sometimes she says the better half. Of Kim Crawford and Erica Crawford. Um, their new wine um, to their portfolio now, Love Block portfolio, is outstanding. They are using green tea as the preservative, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Yeah.
1: It was so good. It's so and good it job. was
3: freaking phenomenal. They're always doing s- new um, techniques um, for their love block wine and everything. They Unbelievable. Can't wait to get some of those wines so I could just drink them at my leisure. Yeah. And she did say
1: that they weren't, it hasn't been released yet. Yes. So um, Erica is going to, I don't know when exactly that wine is going to be released. So hopefully we can have her back on the swirl suite to talk about it because we had a good time with her. It was fun. Oh, yeah. And I would like
4: to say it was a Sauvignon Blanc and I enjoyed it. Why are you stealing my punchline? I'm sorry. I'm supposed to bring that into
3: the conversation, Leslie. It was very good.
1: And also, yesterday, we spent the evening together at the Women of Wine. Is it Women of Wine? Women of Wine DC had an event yesterday at the Bottles Wine Garden and It was a bunch of um, lady sommeliers pouring their favorite wines from their establishments. And we just did a walk around tasting. It was fun. It was a lot of fun.
4: It was the first time. I I don't want to say first time ever, because it probably did happen many years ago, but it's the first time in a long time where an event like this had been organized in DC for um, people who were women who were in the wine industry.
1: And y'all know how this all started, right? It all it all started I think it might have been last year sometime where uh, someone asked a question. It started with one question. Can you tell me where female sommeliers are in DC? And nobody had an answer. And uh, you know and so everyone got mad and now there is a global list of uh lady sommeliers in DC and you can find them on that list. But um yeah, woman of wine, that's where that's where it is. And so I think they're going to have these events, you know, every so often. But
3: yes, it's nice. It's nothing like there's nothing like a spark that'll get things. Oh, yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Makes it a little uncomfortable and like, well, then we got to make it happen. So
4: I think it was like a good 60, 70 people in there. Yeah, they had a nice crowd. It was a very Mm -hmm. well attended event. And some really great wines were poured there also there were really nice people interesting people um oh, definitely. there <clears throat> places I hadn't heard of like um the the uh the Giro place happy Giro wines yeah mm-hmm. yeah um so it was it was cool it was it was cool
1: so Tanisha what did, how did you spend your weekend what have you been doing
2: I uh, had a bit of a busy weekend. Exciting though. Um, uh, Friday went out to Champagne um, and, and went to Ruinard's Vineyards and then did a tour of Krug. And then uh, Sunday went down to um, Terrasse de Larzac, um, an AOC in the Languedoc region of France. And did a wine tasting there, and they have set up this new tourism project that has, uh, they have QR codes, they go with the podcast, if you go to different sites, so you can hear the information there, you don't have to have a tour guide and stuff. And they have this uh, red soil, that's what makes their wines taste the way they do. It's this red, rocky, clay-like soil that was fascinating to hear about. And then did that, and then came back on the train today. That sounds like Maryland <clears throat> soil. Yeah. The
1: same, same, same. Lovely segue. Speaking it's of nice. Maryland wine, we have a very special guest today. Kevin Addix, welcome to the Swirl Suite.
0: Thank you very much for the invite. Appreciate it.
1: So Kevin Kevin knows all of us because he's been in Maryland Wine and we live in the Maryland area. Well, and Tanisha did, but we all know Kevin very very well. But I don't think I know like your background of how all of this started. What is your connection to Maryland and to Maryland Wine?
0: So it started with a glass of wine and it actually started in Colorado where I was studying at the time. Lived in Maryland you know, my whole life lived leading up to that point, went to Colorado uh, to try to get a degree and um, started freelance writing about Colorado wine and got really interested in the wine industry there. Flash forward to uh, one of the breaks, I come home and thought, well, if it's if there's wine there, there's got to be wine in Maryland. And I started hunting around and quickly found that uh, at the time there were nine soon to be 10 operating wineries and i decided that i would visit each of them and basically put together a a tour guide a book called discovery maryland wineries and that ended up uh being published in 1998 right when the 10th winery was opening and that was deep creek Cellars, and um from there the the i just i got to know the winemakers through that process and at some point one of them said hey you're you're writing and we need we need a writer we need someone to do some pr for us and that's kind of where it began many 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 years ago and i i started with uh, maryland wineries association in 2003 and the rest has been a whole heck of a lot of fun
3: now you said you tried to get a degree did you get it
0: well, I did get it. I I, okay. I, I it it took, it took me it took me a little bit, but I did get it and ended up with a uh, a degree in communication and environmental journalism. So it kind of segues in. Well,
1: that no, that fits. That fits. And I read here that you have a degree in communication, journalism, and music composition. That is so common with so many people in wine music. Yep.
0: Yep. Well, and, and I, I think and as I came to understand it, whenever you talk with a winemaker anywhere, it's not just wine. They're also a writer or they're also a musician or they're an astrophysicist. Right. It, it seems like I don't want to say crazy, but, you know, it's, it's folks who are doing things that are wildly creative in making wine. And it takes a certain type of person to do that. So they're either wildly creative in the rest of their world, or they are um, super analytical and winemaking is their outlet. Winemaking is their creative outlet. So we all have something that we do that, that, you know, is on the creative side, but I always found that fascinating is, um, you know, when you ask and someone's been a winemaker for 30 years, that's great. And you always ask like, well, what else do you do? Cause there's always something else they do.
1: What's so special about Maryland wine? What's something? Sp- so
0: I, I'll answer it two ways. Um, what's so special about any wine region? And that is the terroir and the people who make the wine, right? So that's, that's what's special about any wine region. And so when you zoom into Maryland, what's, what's fascinating here is we've got, uh, and, and this goes for Virginia, this goes for some of the New York wine regions as well. Uh, and and certainly around Philadelphia, et cetera, they're within a population center. They're able to make a really good product, charge what it's actually worth, right? We can't make a $9 bottle of wine here. Um, We can make a phenomenal $20 bottle, an outrageously good, uh, you know, $40 bottle, et cetera, et cetera. And there's there's a population center here. There's a market here that uh, is able to help sustain these very, very small wineries where in other places of the world, the wineries have to be pretty big. They have to be scaled a lot bigger to be successful. So one of the great things about Maryland is, I mean, this you know, can be almost a hut and you drive up and you wonder, you know, should I? Should, what's gonna happen in there? And you try that wine and it blows you away. It's amazing wine. And I know Leslie knows this from traveling around and, and and being the one that's you know taking a crew up to this place and um, the wine's amazing and you know it, we've got this this crazy market that's able to support it. Specifically, what makes Maryland great is that um, our growing climate, you know, our, our our terroir combined with the microclimates we have around the state enable Maryland to grow one of the my, most diverse set. Of grape varieties that I've seen anywhere, you know, certainly in Europe. If you airdrop somewhere in Germany or, or you know, wherever you end up, um, they've got a certain set of grapes that they grow, and it's usually a pretty narrow list. And very often, it's government regulated. They can only grow X, Y, and Z. In Maryland, that's not the case. So we've got kind of that American freedom to do whatever the heck we want. Number one, and number two, across our growing regions from the mountains of Western Maryland to obviously you know Frederick County, Montgomery County, up through Carroll and, and Baltimore. You've got the Piedmont area, Washington County as well, um, which is producing phenomenal wines. Then you've got around Baltimore, you've got the Eastern Shore, you've got Southern Maryland, totally different microclimates. And you're seeing grape varieties that um, really aren't growing anywhere else. And, and our, our winemakers are able to kind of cherry pick interesting things because somewhere in the state, that grape will grow. And that's, what's exciting about Maryland is that a winery can make uh, Pinot Grigio, Chardonnay, Albarino, Gruner, you know, on and on and on, on the whites. And then on the reds, your standard Bordeaux varieties and Pinot and Saparavi, you know, and Blaufränkisch and like all of these really interesting varieties that you don't find all in one place really anywhere else. And that, that's one of the things that's really exciting to me about the industry.
3: Kevin, so what are you drinking?
0: I am drinking a stunningly aged Cabernet Franc from Sugarloaf Mountain Vineyard. So for those of you that are here watching, um, Sugarloaf Mountain Vineyard. So this is under their old label, uh, 2019. So, so good.
1: I'm a big fan of Sugarloaf. I haven't been there in a while. Well,
0: have, have you seen their new labels? No, I haven't their new labels are so impressive and it, you know, it, it reminds you that um, we have this argument all the time. And, and I had a, a radio show a couple of years ago where we had this argument all the time. And one day we did a blind tasting where we tasted through some wines, ranked them. And then we looked at the labels and ranked them. And almost unanimously, we were able to, rank the ones that were going to be good with the ones who were not so good based on the quality of the label. And I know that goes against all kinds of things. I'm not saying you should go label shop, but um, it's, it's so amazing that the care that someone puts into a wine and the care that someone puts into a label, it's the same energy. A lot of so people to-
4: have said that. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, Clintus. A lot of people have said, especially when I do wine tasting classes, that's how they select their wines. Cause they're like, well, I like the label. And I think that's why so much money is put into the labels.
3: <clears throat> yeah, it'll draw you in,
4: especially if you're in a big
3: like box wine store yeah. mm-hmm. like the Total Wines of the World. And sometimes you're going there for specific wines. You know what you want, what you want to pay, but you'll see a label like, hmm. So for me, I'll go back and I'll pull over like somebody that works there. Cause you know they have the little shelf and they have like the workers' pick. I forgot what they call it. And then say, like, so what did you think and how tell me what? about this wine? But I was gonna say to Kevin, I was gonna, you know, I was gonna joke, right? That's my job. I was gonna say, so you're not gonna tell us which ones were the bad and which ones are the good, are you? From no, you label.
0: <laughs> you can mind. easily find them yourself. I mean, I, I look. I, I we have this discussion all the time, where you know, in in the industry, um, and and I'll say that Sugarloaf Mountains prior labels were really good. Bordy's prior labels were really good. Catoctin Breeze just came out with a new label, right? I mean, so it's it's not like you you go from a lot of these. You know, it, it, there's nothing wrong with the label. They just feel like the brand has evolved and they put this energy into redefining this brand. And the three that I just mentioned have stunning new labels and branding, which are, are really kind of international in quality in the looks of them. And that it absolutely matches when you're trying the wines. Um, I think you can look anywhere and see some abysmal labels. And, um, you know, I th- that's, that's, a, that's to me, that is uh, the same thing as, you know, a, a tasting room that's not welcoming, or, you know, it's it's all the same theme, it's the same energy, either someone is looking around and saying, I want to make the best, but I want to make sure that as I look around, it actually presents as the best as well, versus others who are not looking around. And, and I think the quality shows it, the label shows it, you know, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. So it, it's really back to that creative energy and, And the awareness of the broader market, but you'll find the bad labels on your own, and I hope you find the good labels on your own.
1: Tanisha, I have a question: Do labels matter as much in Europe? Because I know some of your bottles don't even have
2: labels. Labels? You mean as far as like maybe who the producer is um, and the region, kind of. But um, you mean as far as like people picking something out, like the look, the look of the label. No, because they look largely the same. Some cursive writing, a picture of a chateau, like gold writing versus red lettering. I mean, that's kind of the same.
1: People yeah. And you label. were, you told me that um, you went somewhere and they were pulling wine straight from a barrel. And so it didn't have a label at all.
2: And then that happens too. If you're out at certain places, they'll pull it from a barrel or um, at certain bars, they do it um, in bulk. And so you can just take your own bottle in and then, you know, they'll rinse it out and then they'll fill it up. So label means nothing. It's more region. They're looking for a particular region when they go into a shop or um, wherever to buy one.
1: Very nice. So, Kevin, back to you. Um, Can you tell us about your role in the Maryland Governor's Cup?
0: Sure. So the Governor's Cup is a competition, and many states have Governor's Cup competitions. We, we always look to Virginia's as uh, you know, they do a great job with their Governor's Cup, uh, Pennsylvania beyond. Um, I've consulted on a few other states' Governor's Cup competitions, and it, essentially what it is is it is an opportunity for us as an industry to submit wines to an external panel of judges, and those judges uh, are selected by our competition director um, with some input from our wineries if they think there's a, a som that needs to try our wines or or uh, an influencer or you know a, a writer from uh, you know wherever in the region or the country needs to try the wines we'll we'll try to bring them in to uh, taste through what end up being 150 to 200 different wines all Maryland grown and that's something very Uh, important to note is that everything that is tasted in that governor's cup competition was grown here in Maryland. And so, you know, we tell the judges, uh, you may know California Cabernet, you may know New York Riesling, you may know Burgundy, you may know, you know, South African Chenin Blanc, but you need to be open to what you're going to try here because it's a different terroir. It's, it's, it's totally different. You may see some themes in that Cab Franc, But it's it's going to be a very different uh, grape uh, wine than potentially you've tried before. And if you try through all of the wines in that flight, they're all flighted appropriately. So you get you know dry whites that are chardonnays, and if there's uh, you know uh, off dry whites, we put those in a separate category. If we have enough albarinos to put in a flight, we put those in a flight. Otherwise, the albarinos go into an aromatic white category. So we try to classify them and we encourage the judges to, um, you know, you can't forget everything you know, but look at what's in front of you. Try the wines that are in front of you. Try to pick and and try to see the themes. If you're tasting three or four Gruners or, you know, three or four Rosés, try to see the themes in how they're grown, how they're produced. We have a uh, initial round of judging where judges score out of 20 points. Then we come back and do a semi-final round where all the wines that were scored as gold in the different categories go up against each other. So there's, you know, the semi-final red, semi-final white, et cetera. And then we have a final round, which is um, the fun one because it's one of each category of each of the wines that have uh, risen to the top. And it's, it's a battle royale. I mean, it's a it's fun to sit there and listen to the judges as they're going back and forth. Some are very polite and very professional and are quiet. And by that point in the day, um, some others, uh, you can hear the, the, you know, grunts and, mm, and <laughs> they're very excited about certain wines. And I'm not going to say that, um, you know, there's lobbying, but uh it, it, for, for as long as we've been involved, we've seen some incredible wines rise to the top and some surprising wines. So, so, you know, our team works the back room. We're plugging the scores in. We're making sure the, the right wines are in the right glass and going out. Um, we have a decent sense of what's out there and what's being submitted. But sometimes there are some sleeper wines that come in and you think you know, but you have no idea and you open that bottle and it is dreamy. And so we'll see scores come back from the judges and um, you know, the, the, the back room goes bonkers because there was this wine that did so well and uh, everybody rushes to try it. And it's just, it's an exciting thing. And then um, there's always kind of an announcement and then we do a presentation of the governor's cup and we're going to be doing a, a uh, tasting and reception not too long from now,
4: Kevin. Um, I think it was like three years ago. Wine. It was it wine enthusiasts or Robert Parker had um, ranked eleven of the Maryland wines like ninety points and above.
0: Yeah, that was um, about three years ago, and that was James Suckling, formerly yes. of Wine Spectator. Yep.
4: Um, which you know it should not be surprising, but it is, it is surprising to many. Um, And how do you get that exposure when Maryland is, you know, not ranked in the the top five wine regions in the United States?
0: Well, uh, one of the things you do is to make sure that reviewers um, whatever that means, right? Whether it's these mm-hmm. locations or whether it's uh, folks like yourselves are exposed to local wine. And it's not just for Maryland. It's any, any region that's not in that top five ranking because surprise, surprise, um, Oklahoma is never going to break the top five, right? New Jersey's probably not going to break the top five. We're probably not going to break the top five just in volume and acreage, and it would—it's—it it, just—it's very unlikely. And so, um, you know, that was that was actually a connection that was made through uh, Paul Vinya. You guys know Paul Vinya? so he's a, a writer and kind of wine entrepreneur out of uh, Pennsylvania, and he brings together the region's wineries from New York down through North Carolina twice a year, just to try each other's wines and talk about what they're excited about. And to that, he invites people that he's met along the way. And one of them was one of the uh, kind of administrator reviewers for James Suckling. And so he was invited to one of those tastings. And that's kind of how uh, James Suckling and his organization got the idea of doing that American Revolution wine tasting where they invited wineries from across the country to submit. And it's, it's through, you know, a a small private tasting that someone else pulled together and there happened to be the right contact there. But that type of coverage is so incredibly important, not so much for sales of wine our wineries are selling wine. It's more about credibility. It's more about being able to say, um, right. But, but look here, look at what we're doing as well. And, um, of course it does help sales. And I know our wineries who ranked in that, that top 11, who got nineties and, you know, anybody who was listed in there, um, their direct shipping sales picked up because people wanted to try those wines.
1: So I just want to bring up this topic. Um, and it was like the main reason that we invited you here today. Oh boy. Yeah. So- <laughs> And it, it all started because I was a guest on someone else's wine podcast on, in a panel style. And this was one of the topics that we had to we had to read this article and share our thoughts. Y'all was so hot. I was like, okay, no, I, I, I just can't believe what's happening here. But anyway, wine enthusiasts decided to exclude some of the emerging regions um, of, of the U.S. from their reviews. So they announced in July. Let
0: me let me edit. They decided to exclude
1: all emerging all regions. of them. Yeah, it's true. In July, they were no longer going to review wines from states other than California, Oregon, Washington, New York, and Virginia. Everyone else, they're not. Now, um, a few people did hit me up in my DMs that have relationships with wine enthusiasts and said it was based on a business decision. Course. I will put that out there.
0: Okay. Well, I'll, I'll go first because my, my initial reaction was, um, you know, those, those complete improper bastards. Uh, and, and I went nuts. I mean, I, I was so upset about it and I called them names and I reached out to, you know, some people I knew there and, you know, I, I it was obvious what the reason was. It's a business decision. And, and I'm happy to explain it In a minute or less, as to why they did it, it makes perfect sense from a business standpoint. But guess what? You're in the wine business. But I
1: don't get why, though.
0: Well, here's why. If you're a publication that's dying and you are reliant entirely at this point, not on subscribers, because aforementioned comment, you're reliant upon advertisers. So who is going to advertise? You're going to have wholesalers and big brands who can pay to advertise. And you're going to have the receivers. You're going to have major national chains who have stores or who have restaurants who want to trumpet their Michelin this and their wine enthusiast that and their awards and, and they synchronize it and it doesn't take the average person long to realize that you have major cover story and then next page you have full page ad from the subject of major cover story. It's a business decision. Are we ever going to do it? No. Are we ever going to pay for full page ads? No. Are our wines ever going to be nationally distributed so that everybody who receives that magazine can go to their local store and buy it? No, because we're not making apothic red. We're never going to make apothic red. We may make something that's local and locally grown that tastes like it and is better and is wonderful and you can hear a concert while you're drinking it, but we're not going to be spending money in said publication. And so it's just bleed for them. It's irrelevant. It's extra time for them to pay attention to us. It, it's it just, it, from a business standpoint, they should have made that decision 10 years ago. So I don't fault them for that. What I do fault them for, and if, if you don't follow Len Thompson, who is a regional wine writer, go find Len Thompson on social media and you will see all of the memes that describe viscerally how I feel about this. Len puts all these memes out and they are, they're wonderful. Some make me blush. Most, you know, still remind me that I'm angry. He's wonderful. Um, But, but it, it, it reminds us that our market it's our local friends and family It's our local neighbors, it's our local restaurants. That's our general market. Yes, anybody can buy our wines. Anybody can book a flight to, you know, Dulles, BWI, National, Harrisburg, Philly, and come here and have a great time in Maryland wine country. Yes, all those things are true. But 95% of the wines that we are selling, we're selling to our local audience. And guess what? You go to Idaho and you ask that question, it's the same answer. Local audience, wine enthusiast, it's irrelevant. It had been irrelevant to us for a long time when we had a winery that was featured. It was nice and we promoted it, but I'm not sure that it and it, and it, and it was just general um, awareness building. And that's helpful, of course, but that can be done in a whole bunch of different ways um, rather than through this publication. So I'm out. What do you all think?
4: Um. I think it further promotes stereotypes that you can only find good wine in those regions. And it doesn't promote diversity in wine. Um, I think you can't tell me that all of this was predicated on a business decision. I think it was a, I think the majority of the decision was, and the other part was narrow-mindedness of people who, haven't moved off of Fifth Avenue. I think the other thing that suffers is because recently I attended an international tourism conference and um, people from all over the world were here and they went to restaurants in DC. And when I talked about Maryland wine, they said, well, why isn't it in the restaurants? Even they went to a Virginia winery. They said, we we come to the nation's capital and all they have is California wine in the restaurants. And, and maybe they'll have something from Willamette, what have you, which speaks to, which further promotes that narrow-minded opportunity. Now I understand, and I completely agree that Maryland wine is not meant to be um, massly distributed it's not massly made or what have you but when you have so few opportunities for the general public to enjoy it then this further perpetuates that all Maryland wine is sweet fruit wine and that's all we make yeah and look the
0: the a person, try to figure out the, the best way to say this. A, a person's impression of a product can't be based solely on their lack of being told, right? If you wait to be told something, and then if you're not told it, right, if you don't see it on a list, or if, and getting on a list has become a dead end for a lot of our wineries because they're making beautiful wines, but at the price points, and then at the at the lack of market awareness, um, there are a thousand wines on a great wine list that that you might want to try, and it has to be hand sold. And if it's not hand sold, that's not necessarily the winery's fault. Um, let me go back to to wine enthusiasts. They are you can't see it. They are reviewing seltzers. They dropped local wine coverage and they are now reviewing seltzers. Leslie, is that narrow-mindedness or is that's that- so, That's so decision? sad. But it's that's a,
4: really business sad. It's a business decision. It's a Business decision because the 20 something, 30 something population, they're drinking seltzer. Now, honestly, I don't believe, and this is just my assumption, <clears throat> I don't believe that the 20-something, 30-something population is buying Wine Enthusiast magazine. I just find that really hard to move. Oh, you don't
0: think they're going to start now that they just reviewed Truly's Watermelon Crush?
4: Exactly. Like, I don't think that somebody's sitting in the checkout line going, ooh, People magazine, Sexiest Man Alive. Oh, yeah, let me pick up that copy of Wine Enthusiasm, too. No, I don't think that is happening.
1: The only reason the only reason I buy Wine Enthusiasts is because of the stories in the magazine. Now that they've sort of shifted who they highlight and they're people from their they're our friends in the industry who look like us and talk like us and, you know, grow the grapes in our regions. That's the reason I buy the magazine. Now, I, I guess it's not going to level them out enough. You know, but it's it's just so weird how they sort of they did one thing and took away another. It's it's
0: odd. The the longer I think about it, um, it's probably going to take me a year of counseling. But but the longer I think about it, I'm I'm not upset because publications like that, um, for better or worse, have been irrelevant. To local wine industries for so long, when they paid attention, it was really helpful and we loved it and and that was great but we were born never relying upon it whereas California and Oregon and other places man they bank on a good parker score and you see if you're on wine lists wine club lists you see that you know they're releasing you know whatever they're announcing it now they're releasing it in January and they already have Parker scores and Jeb Dunnick scores and, and suckling scores and all that. They rely on it. I'm not sure that people subscribed all of those things, but it's a reference point. Would it be helpful if Crow Barbera got a 95 from suckling and uh, links bridges you know, Pileated, got a a 93 from wine enthusiast or spectator, they'd make hay of it. They they would promote it. But I'm not sure that out in the world, someone is saying, oh, well, now I'm going to go buy it. I wasn't going to go buy it, but now I'm going to go buy it. I think they're finding our wines from different avenues and different ways. And that's why it is frankly still important to be on some wine lists. It is frankly still important you know as, as Leslie said, you know if an international conference and you go into a DC restaurant, it would be nice to open that list and find some wines. I have favorite uh, restaurants, and I try to make sure that that favorite list will have local wines on it and I, uh, there's a new favorite that I have that has three or four really interesting, thoughtful, harder to find Maryland wines on it, and they sell it. they actually hand sell it because To them, that's like having locally raised pork or, you know, local radishes. It's the same kind of thing. You discuss it.
1: I was in Philly uh, last weekend and I was at a natural wine bar and they had old Westminster. And I was like, oh, yep, I'm going to try that. I went down the list and tried so many of their wines and I thought it was so interesting. And my very first press trip was Pennsylvania. And like, I don't, I don't think people realize how that changed my whole perception. I didn't know that Pennsylvania made wines that taste like that. It was probably the one of the best food and wine experiences I've ever had. And so I think I took it very personally when I saw Maryland and Pennsylvania and like all of these regions that, you know, that we're sent to, to tell people about removed from the review. So I, I got really, you know, I was pissed about it.
4: A friend of the show from Vine Pair Um, they they are very intentional about what they review and they're very intentional about their list and they do the exact opposite. They want to make sure that they have a good representation of domestic and international wines and it's not just exclusively certain wine regions. And um, they don't seem to um be losing money because of that. So mm. I really do think it's just it, it is what your intention is. And 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 when you make decisions solely on chasing a dollar, that will get you in trouble.
3: Well I'm not going to belabor the point because Leslie actually said exactly what I was going to say. I think it becomes exclusionary and you lose the diversity.
0: Yeah if, if all you're doing is stocking products that your wholesale rep brings you. And um, you can go into so many chain restaurants, I won't name them, but you go in there and, and you can look at the wine list and you can go to the state's beverage journal or just do a search online and see who the supplier or importer or wholesaler is. It's the same one. This, these restaurants are using one wholesaler because it's easy. And they, they basically turn it over and I'm sure somewhere down the line, Um, you know, there's a reason that those things are on a list, but it's a, it's a business decision. Their priority is not sourcing local, or I should say they don't have a priority of sourcing local. And so um, that's really where the argument needs to be focused is how do we get stores, restaurants? How do we educate Psalms? How do we educate the consumer that local is important?
1: Yeah, that's a a great question. Tanisha, anything before we uh, close it out with Kevin?
2: Yeah, I want to say I agree with Kevin in that it's a business decision um, and it's going to take local people promoting it, writing about it, things like that. Um, Because also from the business standpoint, writing about a whole lot of wines that the majority of your readership can't get their hands on, that's not that beneficial either. So if you're writing about California or Oregon, okay, those wines are widely available. Wines from Maryland and Texas and uh, South Dakota or, you know, New Mexico, those aren't. Right. So writing about those and people can't get them, that doesn't, that doesn't make as much sense to them at this point. I think it's something that's just going to take time. Um, uh, the American wine industry as a whole is very young in comparison to a lot of the other wine industries, definitely the old world wine industries. But American wine industry is very young. And um, at Maryland, way younger than that. So I think it's just going to take some time for it to get more popular, more known, more widely distributed. And then I definitely think that they'll be revisiting this conversation and um, the wines and the states and regions of things that they promote.
0: Yeah, one if I could if I could counterpoint that, or I guess add to it because Tanisha, you're you're onto it. I, I think the one thing I would add is that um, the idea about wine availability—that's a very twenty-year-old model. Every winery in the country, almost every winery in the country, can ship to forty-something states, so consumers can get wines just like they go onto Amazon and don't go to Target three times a day they're going on the amazon and you know buying product and ups and fedex and just the 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 model of e-commerce has changed so drastically and so I, you know i think just to add on to your sentence it no longer makes sense because there's not a wholesaler involved in a lot of these there's not a standard importer involved there's not the standard you know chains so you know business decision Um, I don't, uh, I hope that other, especially the online publications don't go that same way. Print, I get it. There's such a burden and you got to pay it with ads. And it's hard not to have that not influence your editorial.
1: Great. Thank you. I'm calming down. (laughs) Yeah. Before we move into our closeout questions, can you tell us about grow and certify? Grow, wait, grow and fortify. Sorry.
0: There you go. We also certify. But Grow and Fortify is an organization that I started in 2015 to do for other industries in the value-added agricultural space what um, our team had done for Maryland Wine. And so grow the industry, advocate for the industry, um, professionalize it, um, get get it on a a, a, kind of a steady footing. And that went for local breweries, local distilleries, uh, the local hemp industry, agritourism. So we, we've done a lot of work around uh, what we call the value-added agricultural industry. And we've actually got a summit that we hold every two years. That's December 1st of this year. Uh, you can visit grownfortified.com to learn more about it. But it's, it's, it's very cool because you go there and yes, wine is a part of it, but you start realizing that people are making use of five and 10 acre plots all around the region to do incredibly crafty things that they're selling in farmers markets, they're selling mail order, and it's, it's enlivening and enriching our food scene here and our kind of our agricultural space and it's also keeping land in agriculture, because row crops are not going to cut it going forward.
1: That's fantastic. Is that Maryland wine bar still open?
0: It is. It, it the bar is open. It is not entirely focused on Maryland, Maryland wine. And, okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. yeah I they, heard that a Virginia wine is coming. A, a Virginia wine bar is coming to DC.
0: That's great. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. It, it, I love to see too. a Maryland yeah. one. Yeah. I mean that that kind of stuff is so powerful because you're giving people an experience, and halfway through they realize, wait, it's all Virginia wine, but it's mm-hmm. all Maryland wine here. Yeah. That's that's how you want to get to them. Yeah. Bring the experience. Awesome.
1: Ladies, any other thoughts before we have our fun closeout questions? All right, so these questions are for everybody, so you can unmute yourselves. Oh, here we go. First one, and these questions are all about Maryland. Okay. Baltimore Harbor or National Harbor?
3: Baltimore for me. Baltimore for me.
4: Oh, because I live on the. <laughs> end of the world plus 20 miles national (laughs) harbor is the place to be
2: i'm gonna say baltimore harbor only because when i left the area national wasn't that built up yet like it was a couple of things there but it wasn't a a thing thing
1: i mean if i could cheat and say neither i go with the wharf but this is Maryland. (laughs) this is maryland so i'm gonna go with baltimore harbor Uh, okay, favorite Maryland restaurant?
2: Leslie, you with those big crab
4: cakes. Uh, There's several, but you know what? I have to, I have to go old, old, old school. Timbuktu, you can't go wrong. Whoa, you with, took it back with a good Timbuktu baseball crab cake. There, that's was before my
2: time. Okay, I bet. Gleniston, Captain what about y'all?
0: So I'll I'll go with a little restaurant in Baltimore called Magdalena. Mm -hmm. And the reason I'm picking Magdalena is I went there with a wine writer not too long ago and we had a fantastic dinner and the wine list had some really, really beautiful. It's the one I referenced earlier, some beautiful, hard to find local wines. And the Psalm was so excited to tell us about them before he
3: knew what we were doing. So California Pizza Kitchen doesn't count, right? (laughs) No.
2: Well, we're gonna kick you off the podcast
3: (laughs) for (laughs) that. Um, you know what? I think I have a couple, but my go-to, no, I think, frankly, pizza. It's a small pizza restaurant. Everything is like farm to table. Even the wines that they bring in are from. Small growers, small producers. You talking about so, Heightsville
1: College Park, Franklin? No,
3: it's oh. in Kensington. It's called Frankly, Frank- not Frankly.
4: Frank oh, okay. Frank- okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Right here in Kensington, Maryland. So, yeah, nice. that's a good ace. Um, Sarita, can you delete that? Because I don't want people going there because then oh. it will be overcrowded and I won't be right getting- <laughs> <laughs> You want me to delete Glenn's answer? Yeah, I have
2: please. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just bleep it out i'll bleep it out (laughs) i mean she not but like we're gonna say she did you have an answer i have nothing to do with that part but tanisha you have an answer i don't have an answer okay i'm sorry i don't remember okay
1: no problem my answer is okay this is hard because I will drive to Annapolis or Baltimore for for crabs specifically. Mm -hmm. So I like Harris's Crab House. It's right on the water. Um, And then I really like Franklin's. That's why I asked. Oh, this is Franklin's. It's a brewery restaurant. And it's kind of in Hyatt'sville College Park. The food is so good. It's so Uh, good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my favorite. All right. Next question. Do you have a vacation home in Maryland? If not, where would it be?
0: I'll go first. I do not. And I'm eternally torn between somewhere on the water in Kent County, away from everybody. And you see a theme here. Or uh, out in Cumberland, out, out, just outside of Cumberland, um, away from anybody. Um, but I would have to be on the river. I need water. So if anyone's got something for sale, real cheap, let me know.
3: So let me make sure. So the question is only related to Maryland. If not, where yes. would it be in Maryland? Right? Yep. Because you know, I just totally went. Okay,
4: y'all go because um, this is. Uh, my I think opinion. I I don't have one. Let's just say that and. I would agree with Kevin. It would have to be somewhere on the water. But I actually would do like Chesapeake Beach in Calvert County. Um, you know, the nice thing about Maryland is that there's so many different, um, like the water area, that beachfront is not exclusive to one area. So you could go someplace and, and get lost and and nobody would find you away from someone. But yeah, you got to do that.
3: Definitely. Well, I don't vacation in Maryland that often. So let me just put that disclaimer out there and be very transparent about it. Um, But where I have been in it. So, no, I don't have a vacation spot. It would be deep creek because I've been there and I did have a good time and we had a ball on the lake. So
1: I like that. That's a good answer. What guys, what is the private? I think it might be private, but it's the beach with all the horses. What's that called? Is it that yeah. okay? Yep. That's my answer. Yes. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Tanisha, I'm gonna assume you won't have an answer, child. <laughs>
2: Um, I clearly never lived in Maryland because I have no idea what y'all are talking about.
0: So
2: I'm an well, opt out of the rest of these. Okay. That, that
0: means we got to get a place and invite Tanisha.
2: I yes. have no idea. These places, these towns. I mean, I know that wharfs exist and that's all I got. I've been out after that. That's it. I'm going to just stay okay. on there.
1: That's fair. Okay. Crabs or Crab cakes.
3: Crab what kind of crabs you talking about? You talking about Maryland? Maryland crabs. Crab. What are you Maryland crabs. Maryland blue crabs. <laughs> crab. I'm say because, you know, we got a range of crabs. Like, I can sit here and just show y'all crabs. Like, what kind of crabs are you talking about? <laughs> Woo! I'm not going to choose. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not because if you make a good crab cake, I want it. I want a lump crab cake. I don't want no filler. I don't want no, all the fin types. I want lump crab cake. Very little mayonnaise, just one. But if not, give me crab by itself. I don't care what kind. Blue crab, dungeon, but that ain't Maryland So blue crab, okay.
4: Both. If I'm going to do crabs, and I guess since I just had crabs this weekend, it has to be the jumbos. Because I'm getting too old to pick through the small ones. And we had jumbos, and the claws were almost... There's like the size, know. yeah, I did. Um, the, the claws were almost like the size of lobster claws. So, mm-hmm. if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do the jumbo blue crabs.
1: I don't do crab cakes because I don't want to get disappointed. So I it's crabs all day. I would much rather have the actual crabs.
3: <clears throat> yeah, mm-hmm.
1: I've been disappointed way too much with crab cakes.
3: Oh yeah, so I send them back. But <laughs> <I, 'cause> <laughs> you going, what you gonna tell them though? Add more meat? no, I'm very specific up front. I ask, is your crab cake lump crab meat with very little filler? Or is it the fin the back fin? Mm-hmm. Right? And if they tell me one thing and something else, no, thank you. Get it back. Yep. It exactly. It goes back. Same same but same what's the um what's the crab? It's not Jimmy's. What is that crab spot? Who's Jimmy's? Oh, that it's oh, in Bowie. Uh, It used to be in Glen Arden, right, or right in Lanham.
1: It's oh, with the oh, jump Jerry's.
3: Jerry's. 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 Jerry's.
4: now yes. it's in Bowie. Yeah, now it's in, okay, Bowie. It's the in Bowie. Exactly of the crab yep. bomb. That yeah. crab bomb is mm-hmm. long. Yep. Yeah, good. Mm-hmm. it's
3: good. It's long. So
4: yes. All
1: right, Tanisha, I'm just making sure, Tanisha, do you have an answer, crabs or crab cakes? I'm gonna just assume crab cakes.
2: Crab cakes, cause crabs are just too much work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I remember Jerry's and that crab bomb because we would go there for lunch sometimes during work and we would be full
3: and couldn't finish the work day. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, indeed. about right.
3: Yes. That's about right. And he got a lemon pound cake, God almighty.
1: Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, speaking of cake, <laughs> Have you ever had Smith Island cake? It's mm. a Maryland's official dessert.
2: Okay, I'm going back on mute. Yeah, <laughs> me too. I've never,
1: I've never had, had, it, had
3: it. I've I, it. I didn't even know it existed. I did
4: not
1: know. really. I I, I know right. I've seen it on the Food Network, and I googled it, but no, I haven't had it. Kevin. If you find it,
0: have it. If you ever see it, have it.
1: Okay. It's yep.
0: Okay. It's great.
1: Okay. Noted.
0: It's a lot of cake. It's like. It's like 1,000 layers. A thousand le- layers.
3: Yeah, oh, layers? wow.
1: Yeah. Okay.
2: In
0: thin layers with um, icing in between.
2: hmm mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Very last question for everyone. What was the last Maryland wine you drank?
0: The Sugarloaf Mountain Cabernet Franc
4: 2019. <laughs> I had um, two Lions Barbera. <laughs>
3: i guess what was our last um podcast it was black ankle right when she sent us those samples was it black ankle we got the the it was black ankle right what, what's, what's, what's the one you used to work at that was black ankle yeah. that was the last madeline wine you had oh, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> you know i'm a mm. has not mm-hmm. started start had they don't make Cremant, so you know I've been drinking a whole lot. Gotcha. Sparkle. Okay. Bubbles, bubbles, yep. bubbles, and more bubbles. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I um, haven't for- been to a, a Maryland event like I just went to a Virginia event at mm-hmm. Mount Vernon, but haven't been to a Maryland event in a while. And you know I have a friend who has a like tourism company, and I just <laughs> 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 you,
4: you better talk to her. She better step up her game. <laughs>
3: <sighs>
4: <laughs> mine
1: was the um Mr Westminster uh probably their pet net one of their pet nets mm-hmm. at a natural oh, wine cool. bar in Philly yeah, yeah that was my last one good stuff yeah yes yeah, awesome uh Tanisha do you have an answer for us
2: <laughs> do you remember yes because it was that black ankle that I had for open that bottle night because it was an older one I think it was okay. like a 2000 like nine mm-hmm oh wow a couple years back do you remember <laughs> i did like a whole thing about it because uh, mm-hmm. i had to, it was hard trying to get the cork out yeah need to travel with me it, yeah that that was the last thing
0: very nice mm-hmm. crumbling rock crumbling
1: rock that's it right mm-hmm. yeah,
2: yeah. Yes.
4: yeah
0: oh yeah yeah Well, oh, good old wine yeah
4: mm-hmm.
1: well this was fantastic kevin thank you for joining us yeah. today
0: Th- thanks for the invite always love talking yeah. and talking with you Thank,
1: Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And sharing Thank the you. Good,
0: good word about local wine. So.
1: Yes,
2: you're a new yes Maryland indeed. Wine Ambassadors.
0: Oh, well. <laughs> Denise, come on. You're my old Maryland Wine
2: Ambassador. <laughs> oh, gee. That's, yeah, that was, that's how I got started at wine. That was like the first, you know, me being like, oh, wow, wine is cool.
0: Wine is cool.
2: Yeah, because my first festival was Wine in the Woods
1: yeah kevin before oh, you go something.
2: all right there we
1: go you do you do it's coming back to you
2: yeah. kevin
1: before you go please tell everybody where they can follow you uh you follow follow us
0: on if you get onto any of your platforms and find maryland wine and you can follow us there marilynwine.com to sign up for our newsletter and uh, we'd love to keep in touch
1: awesome any announcements ladies anything coming up any events or anything no, nope. you know, this weekend
3: is how it's homecoming.
1: Ah, uh, it is homecoming season. Oh, there's a
3: lot of activities. And you, you know. <laughs> I need to go to bed now so I'll be able to get up later.
1: Well, and, and happy up. homecoming to Morgan State. Oh yeah, y'all just, just, had, your yeah, I just
4: had your own. homecoming. Yes, it's yeah, that was good. a cute little event. Don't that do that.
3: That's really wow. That That's so shady. Up 95. Yeah. <laughs> oh.
1: So shady, Glennis. <laughs> I'm not arguing no bison today. I'm not doing it. <laughs> 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 uh um, Tanisha, you going anywhere um next? No, I'm staying put for a couple weeks. Oh, okay. Very nice. Very
3: nice. Nice, nice, nice.
1: Well, that is a wrap, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.
3: Till next time. Sweet. Cheers. Bye. Bye, y'all. Bye. bye. Take care. Stay safe, okay. everyone. Bye
1: bye. Thanks for joining this world suite. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button, leave us five stars, and leave us a comment. We love ratings. Also, be sure to follow all of us on social media myself at Buy Me Up, Glen is at Vino Noir girl meets glass is tanisha vino 301 is leslie and you can follow the swirl suite podcast account at swirl suite. the swirl suite is now a part of the alive podcast network this episode has been edited and produced by find Me media